Jews return to Zion, and we're getting ripped to the fucking sky. We're going to watch the Omen and talk about it while we're high. That ain't no lie. You and I ain't going to die. Mm-mm. Can't kill Danny D. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it's real fucked up starting it with the Jews <laughs> return to Zion like that, but we promise we're not like... An anti-Semitic podcast. We're here to get high and talk to you about horror movies. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. This is Fried Squirms. This week's going to be The Omen. Blame them. Mm-hmm. But I guess to start off with, as always, we'll get to our green hits and start getting a little high before we get into these horror flicks. What did you bring me today? Okay, so big surprise is I went by local dispensary here in town, Flower. It's our kind of go-to for joints. I mean, we've got some other shops we like to frequent, too. But just because they're right down the road, it makes it convenient. Plus, they always have... We know oh, they got fire getting. joints, dude. Yeah, yeah, we know what we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> Hence, what's going there? But this week is something I did bring, I don't know, probably a few weeks ago, but I'll go ahead and mention it anyway. It's chocolate hashberry. It is a 50-50 hybrid. And with that, the THC numbers do come in pretty high on this one, somewhere around 28. This one at the shop is a little over 29%. And with that, it is created through a delicious cross of chocolate kush and blackberry kush. So along with that, the flavors that you expect to have because of its name, you do get a super spicy hash with rich chocolate and sweet berries. The aroma is very similar with an earthy hash overtone accentuated by chocolate berries and spice. It helps with anxiety, chronic pain, depression, mood swings, and stress, and you should feel euphoric, happy, relaxed, maybe a little sleepy, and uplifted with this particular strain. I decided I had went to flower too many times in a row for the purpose of the show and made my way back down to greener pastures earlier today. And so you got some super silver hash plant, cross of super silver haze, and G13 hash. Kind of decently little dank, kind of a mix between uplifted, happy, energetic, but not like super into any one of those. Just sort of like getting you a nice balanced up. And that's Super Silver Hash. And also, just to throw this in now, while we're getting in these green hits, we do have a Patreon now. Go check that out, www.patreon.com slash fried squirms. At the very least, at our lowest level, You'll get all these episodes a week early. Maybe that's your thing. You could have heard this last week. I know. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting you for? You living in the future. <laughs> I know. Join us in the future. Beyond that, you'll get things like listening to our right-off-the-cuff thoughts after we go catch horror movies in the theaters. At our top level, you can talk to us on Discord. Oh, yeah. Get a sticker. We don't even have a sticker. I don't have any of our stickers Mainly because we don't have any right now, so get it before we do. Go get our stickers before we do. And along with that, I was just talking them up to you. I'm going to bring them up at least once and maybe more. Full disclosure, one of the guys that started this company used to be my roommate. However, I will also point out that he doesn't know that I'm doing this, and I've ran into him like once in the past three years. But one of my homies here in town started a company that, if you're listening to our green hits, you might be interested in. Check out resinracker.com. R-E-S-I-N Wrecker.com for cleaning your pipes. I tried it this morning. I picked some up because I knew my homie had fucking done this and they had some down at Greener Pastures and I know you're supposed to be able to order their shit online too. And it's just a soak for your piece. You know, you throw like a tablespoon of this like powdered laundry detergent looking shit 
although I think it's actually pretty natural and clean and shit. On your pipe, cover it near boiling water, fucking set it and forget it for 15 minutes. You walk back, and it started to dissolve all that shit out from the inside. Now, I tried it on a particularly nasty pipe, so it took two washes, but, like, if you smoke a lot, you know what I'm going to mean by this. Like, <laughs> it had gotten to that point where when I took a hit, when I'd put my finger on the fucking carb, I'd burn my finger because it just lit that <laughs> resin inside and just yep. traveled up the fucking side and was burning on the inside it's and like shit. like a tinderbox inside there. So it was all fucking gunked up. Fucking two rinses. Danny, what does this look like? Dude, I was telling you this before we were even talking about it. It's like, man, you still have the color without all that resin and goo inside there. It looks good for two clean shit, man. And that's while out probably just poking around in it and stuff. That ain't any poking around. That's setting it and forgetting it for two 15-minute yeah. sessions yeah. and then just rinsing it out that's with warm sweet. water. And I can imagine that now you'll, you'll get to taste the flavors and all that good stuff out of your piece. And I didn't end up with resin all over my fucking hands. Dude, that's another reason why it sucks cleaning pieces because of that, too. Uh, and the bit that I did end up on my hands was partially broke down by that shit, so it rinsed off easier. There you go, man. Win-win. So check that shit out. Like I said, like full disclosure, I know the cats, but they don't even know I'm doing this. Yeah. But fucking it works. So Resin Racker. Awesome. Let's get on to the guts and bolts of the omen. Guts and bolts. All right. Guts and bolts for the omen. 1976, not 2006. Make that clear. Hmm. Let's see. So it's who and what went into the making of this, spoiler-free. The spoiler-free setup for the movie. I mean, is it possible to be spoiler-free on The Omen? Maybe for some people. I don't know. After Gregory Peck agrees to adopt a strange child when his wife's own pregnancy ends in a stillborn, the kid starts to grow up and things start to get weird. <laughs> As they do. <laughs> Things just start to go, start getting weird around the kid. I mean, that's the setup. Like, I, know, I, I don't know if I can free, say right? anything else, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. But I think that is a good setup to what this film gets into. And, of course, from week to week, we like to talk about the people who go into making the film, the actors who star in front of the cameras. And this week we have director Richard Donner, who we did mention last week, unfortunately, passed away recently. Maybe it's timing. Maybe it's a coincidence. You know, maybe it's the omen. But... We're covering 70s in the way that we've been doing our, uh, like, recent movie watching, what have you. So, yeah, fits in the mold. But, yeah, well, not only did he pass recently, he passed last week. Oh, yeah. Like, like the news broke, last like, an week. hour before we started recording. Just so we're like, timing. all right, let's talk about Dick Donner then. Yeah, right. So, with that being said, this guy's got some really cool bodies of work. I know I say that every week with a lot of people, but, man... I will say this. I did see some interviews because I own the box set for The Omen, but he even mentioned it. His first three films were kind of like just went unknown. He did a film entitled X-15, then he did Salt and Pepper and Lola before he got tapped to do The Omen. And because of the success, which I will mention here in a little bit, of The Omen, he went on to direct such things as Superman in 1978. He did The Toy, one of my all-time favorite movies, The Goonies, Mm -hmm. He also directed Lady Hawk, Lethal Weapons 1, 2, and 3. If you've ever seen Scrooged, maybe you've seen Radio Flyer, the movie Maverick, Conspiracy Theory, I Lethal love Maverick, Weapon 4. Maverick's a good film. 
And his final film was 16 Blocks back in uh, 2006. But he also produced films, more notably some of the Free Willy films. He did Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, Bordello of Blood, and X-Men and X-Men Origins Wolverine as his executive producer role. So some really cool franchises there. All right, we have writer David Seltzer, and Mr. Seltzer, once again, had some really cool bodies of work. Such things as uh, Bird on a Wire from 1990. He also wrote and directed several films. Uh, coincidentally enough, another one of my favorites from the 80s, one I've brought up several times, I believe, is a, a film called Lucas, starring Corey mm. Haim and Charlie Sheen and Winona Ryder. Uh, he also helped with Punchline that starred Sally Field and Tom Hanks in 1992's Shining Through. A lot of really cool scripts there. We have cinematographer Gilbert Taylor, big name for a lot of cool reasons. So uh, listening to the interview of Richard Donner, he had mentioned that Gilbert Taylor at the time had kind of like semi-retired. And they had a phone conversation, got him on board, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, convinced him with the script and all this other stuff. But prior to him working on The Omen, man, he did such things as Dr. Strangelove. Mm-hmm. He also DP on A Hard Day's Night. He was the DP on a Roman Polanski film entitled Repulsion, which I know we brought up last week because one of the actors were involved in that movie. He also helped with such things as Frenzy from 1972, Star Wars from 77, the 1979 Dracula, the sequel to this, Damien, The Omen Part 2. He did Flash Gordon from 1980, which I was like, oh, shit. I don't know how many times I've seen that as a kid. And his last title was Don't Get Me Started from 94. So hmm. some really cool works there. All right. We have editor Stuart Baird. I did hear that he was brought on after they let go of, I guess, the original editor on this. Okay. But some of his bodies of work include the film The Devils, which is a Ken Russell film from 71. He helped on Tommy from 75, hmm. Listomania from 75 as well. He helped on Superman. He helped also on Lady Hawk, Lethal Weapon, Gorillas in the Mist, Tango and Cash, Lethal Weapon 2, Die Hard 2, The Last Boy Scout, Jesus. Radio Flyer, Demolition Man, Maverick, Star Trek Nemesis, Superman 2, which was the Richard Donner cut. More recently, such things as like Casino Royale. He helped on Green Lantern from 2011. <laughs> I know Skyfall from 2012. He okay. also has some directing credits. He, uh, he directed the Star Trek Nemesis film. Done some producing as well, so he's got his hands on all kinds of cool stuff. We have Jerry Goldsmith, a really interesting name. He helped compose the music. The reason I say he's an interesting name, man, all right, this guy goes back to the 50s. He's got a shit ton of films. It's like pick a decade, and you're going to be blown away. But he was nominated several times for an Oscar award, and he didn't go to the award ceremony when he got nominated for this film. And it happened to be the only one he ever won. <laughs> so <laughs> there's that. But just a few films of note, man. He helped with a TV series theme in three episodes for The Man from Uncle, that television series from back oh. in the 60s. Yeah, I was like, that's pretty cool. A big one just from the 60s, Planet of the Apes from 68. If you go on to the 70s, another one of those, like, man, just pick out a film. And you're like, what the hell? Here's one actually that surprised me. I thought it was really cool because it's one we brought up because I think some of the people involved. But there's a film called Capricorn One, which is supposed to be about, I'm doing air quotes here, about the staged moon landing okay, and how they pulled all that stuff off. So that's what that film's about. Uh, he helped compose the music for that. He also helped compose the music for The Boys from Brazil and Alien from 79, a film we have talked about. 
and Star Trek, the motion picture. Going on to the 80s, uh, let's see, your Poltergeist, The Secret of Nim, First Blood, Psycho 2, Twilight Zone, the movie, Gremlins. It's like, Jesus, man. Explorers from 85, Legend, Poltergeist 2, Hugers. It's like, what? The Burbs? Are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> the 90s is no better. And I'm by, I mean, no better. It's like, check this out Total Recall, Gremlins 2. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, Basic Instinct, Forever Young. Yeah, it was rejected, but uh, he did the 92's Gladiator. Uh, it was rejected, but the Super Mario Brothers. Dennis the Menace. I was like, man, how many times have I seen that movie? First Night, Babe. This is just from the 90s, dude. The Mummy, 1999. Mm. Yeah. 2000, Hollow Man, The Sum of All Fears, and Looney Tunes back in action. It's oh, kind of neat. shit, okay. Yeah, so like I said, this guy just all over the place with music. Well, and maybe you mentioned it, and I just fucking zoned. And if that's the case, that's my okay. bad. But, like, he did win an Academy Award for the score for The Omen. I know. It's, it is fucking nuts, man. Like I said, he didn't even bother going to the award ceremony because he had been let down so many times prior. I think this was his fifth nomination, and he had lost four previous, so he's like, I'm not even going to bother. And he winds up winning it. <laughs> so good on him. All right, this was produced by Harvey Bernard. Production companies were 20th Century Fox, Harvey Bernard Productions, and Mace Newfield Productions. Uh, the distributor was 20th Century Fox for the 1976 United States theatrical release. It had a release date on June 25th, 1976 here in the States, and September 16th, 1976 in the United Kingdom. It had an estimated budget of about $2.8 million, and it grossed. $60.9 worldwide. Now, I did hear and read that the advertising was more than double its budget. They spent like oh, almost $6 million, if not more, on it. Okay. Ooh, damn. Yeah, and uh, this is a little bit of trivia, but they did some, like, some screenings on June 6th, 1976. Mm-hmm. I think they said in Soho and some other theaters, and they got, you know, positive reviews, so... It's a little bit more trivia, but they also did some some campaigning as viewers were coming out. I'll mention that later. Oh, okay. All right. We have several taglines, but the one I pulled is actually from the poster, the movie poster, that is. And it says, you have been warned. If something frightening happens to you today, think about it. It may be the omen. Not going to lie. Not a fan of that tagline. You've been warned. You've been warned, Tyler. <laughs> Fuck them. No, I don't give a shit. It's funny. All right. The cast, man, big name leading it off. I don't know how often, if ever, we'll ever talk about him again in horror. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm talking about Gregory Peck, plays the role of Robert Thorne, the ambassador to like what, Italy for the UK, whatever. No, no, for US. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, with that being said, holy moly, where do we even begin with Gregory Peck? What I always think of him in is To Kill a Mockingbird, because we had to watch it in school. Likewise, yeah. The next thing I think of him is he basically was Captain Ahab for ever. Yeah, that's a good point, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Has there been a more more iconic (laughs) representation of that character yet than Gregory Peck? I know, right? There's a Uh, few. Patrick Stewart did a pretty good job in that made-for-TV movie, but... But, you know, Gregory Peck is hes kind of iconic, mm-hmm. you know. Just a few things of note outside of what we've already mentioned include Alfred Hitchcock's Spellbound from 1945 and the family film The Yearling from 1946. We've already mentioned Moby Dick. Uh, let's see here. He did a lot of Westerns, apparently, too, like The Guns of Navarone. 
He also did the 1962 and the 1991 remake, Cape Fear, where he played different roles in those films. He also was in The Boys from Brazil in 1978. I mean, like I said, there's a ton of other films we could go through, but how much time do we really have talking about right. these credits, you know? All right, so with that being said, we have Lee Remick. She plays the role of Catherine Thorne, who is the wife of Robert Thorne in the film. And Miss Remick, another one of those names, goes back. And I was really surprised because I've seen this film. I don't know if I'd recognize her back then, but I, I certainly would now. But she was in the 1958 film, The Long Hot Summer, as Eula Varner. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, shit, that's a Paul Newman film. I went on this big Paul Newman and, like, Steve McQueen and, like, all these other actors. And that was one of the films I'd watched. I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. So with that, she was also in the 1963 The Running Man. I know I brought that up last week with some of the actors and actresses in that. She was in the film Hennessy. She was also in... Hit him with the Hennessy. Hit him with the Hennessy. She was in the Medusa Touch. And her last role was in Emma's War in 1988. She also did a lot of television work as well. Like I said, she had a number of roles too on stage. So really cool stuff there. All right. We have Harvey Spencer Stevens plays the role of Damian Thorne. I think we can all put that together, who he is. <laughs> all right, some other films of note. He was in Gagin the Savage and The Omen from 2006. Oh, shit. He plays, I think they said like a TV news reporter or some shit like that. Yo, I haven't seen that movie since 2006, so I'll just have to believe that. <laughs> I, likewise, I haven't even seen it, but I'll believe it for now. We have David Warner as Keith Jennings. David Warner's great. Dude, just some of his bodies of work is like, Another one of those is like, where do you even begin, man? Because he's got so many fucking films he's been in. It's pretty wild. I'll bring up one that, man, it surprises me because I go way back with that film. But some of his big ones include Straw Dogs, Holocaust, Time Bandits, Tron, A Christmas Carol. He was in Titanic. He was also in Star Trek V and Six and The Next Generation. And then from there, it starts to get more like, I guess, personalized depending on how you watched yeah. him growing up so growing up i always re- immediately recognize him from teenage mutant ninja turtles to the secret of the ooze that's what i'm saying and, the and one- he also did a bunch of voices in cartoons like it's- he was ray shal ghoul in batman the animated series two films that's crazy dude that's awesome but two then films. like tron yeah tron's huge time bandits time bandit but there's two in the 80s specifically okay i'm like Damn, I used to watch one of them a lot, and one of them I've seen a few times. And one of them is the 1987 film, My Best Friend is a Vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to lie, I used to watch that a lot. And the film Waxwork from 1988. And I was like, damn, I've seen those a bunch of times. He's also in In the Mouth of Madness from 94. It's another one I know at some point we'll get around to. He's in Scream Part 2 as Gus Gold. Yeah. He's in Avatar. Mm. He's done uh, a number of different, like, Doctor Who roles here and there. It's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. Like I said, just a big name. Really cool seeing him in this. We have Billy Whitelaw. She plays Mrs. Willa Baylock. She's a nanny in the film. I know we'll talk about her a lot at some point. But some things of note from her. Another one of those actresses got some really cool roles. She's been in such things as A Tale of Two Cities back in 1980. She voiced, probably going to say this name wrong, but Agra. From the Dark Crystal, 1982. Mm. She was in Terror in the Isles from 84. She was in Tangiers in 85. Yeah, she was in Jane Eyre, 1996. And her final film role, which is really cool, I would have never guessed it. She played Joyce Cooper in Hot Fuzz. What the fuck? In 2007. 
I love hot fuzz. She's man. got now that I know to look for her, I'm sure I'll notice her because she's she's got a look. Right. It's pretty recognizable. But it, I was like, damn, that's fucking awesome, dude. All right, here's some interesting names. We have Patrick Troughton plays Father Brennan. Yo, like, I've seen this movie before, but it had been a long time, like, before I was introduced to Doctor <laughs> Who. I didn't know the second Doctor was in this shit. That's crazy, isn't it? Man, this guy, another one of those, like, dude, where do you even begin? Here's something I noticed because of what we did last week with Hammer Films specifically. It's like, dude, this dude's been in a bunch of fucking Hammer Films. Mm. He was in The Curse of Frankenstein. He was in The Phantom of the Opera from 62. He was in The Gorgon from 64. Scars of Dracula. Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. Then some other things. He was in The Moonraker. He was in Jason and the Argonauts. Which I used to watch uh, Jason and the Argonauts quite a bit. That's probably actually the first place yeah, I saw Yeah, and Sinbad and the Eye of the Tigers, another one of those. You already mentioned he was the second Doctor in Doctor Who. It's like, come on, dude. Just a ton of television film credits that include series and TV films. So we'd be here all day talking about him too. Right, a few other people of note, I have Martin Benson who plays the role of Father Spoleto. And this gentleman, once again, has got some really cool bodies of work. Some of his film credits include such things as The Stranger World of Planet X, Once More with Feeling, Exodus, Five Golden Hours, uh, Pope Joan, The Sea Wolves, and Angela's Ashes. I can't believe we're bringing that up again mm-hmm. from 1999. I mean, good film, but whew, man, it's going to pull up the heartstrings. All right, we have Holly Palance. She is the daughter of Jack Palance, coincidentally enough, but she plays the role of the first nanny. Oh, uh, I didn't know that was Jack. Okay. Yeah. Now, a few things of note from her. She was in the films The Comeback, Tuxedo Warrior, and The Best of Times. And then she starred with her dad as the host of a television series from 1983 through 84. And that was Ripley's Believe It or Not. That's pretty awesome. And last but not least, although we have some other actors and actresses in the film, but this gentleman is Leo McKern. He plays a role of Carl Buchenhagen. Even though he goes uncredited in this film, his character actually plays a bigger part later on in the series. That's why I included Mm. him. He's uh, the guy that's working at Megado. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's an Australian actor. Some films of note from him include such things as Murder in the Cathedral back in 1952. He was in The Day the Earth Caught Fire. He's been in such things as Ryan's Daughter, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother from 75. He was also in the 1980 The Blue Lagoon and Lady Hawk from 1985. Oh, Blue Lagoon. Yeah, so that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. I do want to bring up one more person, though. I don't want to say I don't want to round it out quite yet because I'd be lying to us. All right, I'm going to bring her up because I don't know exactly where she is. If you do, Tyler, you can point her out. But Sheila Rayner, she plays the role of Mrs. Ingrid Horton. And I'm like, I don't know who that is in this film. Why am I even bringing her up? There's one role in particular. Her notable role was that of Alex's mother, played by Malcolm McDowell, in A Clockwork Orange. I'm like, what is she doing in this? Yeah. And who the fuck is Ingrid Horton? It's a mystery to me too, bro. Like, did they actually, like, give a name to one of the other moms at the birthday party? Is that who fucking Ingrid Horton is? Possibly maybe somebody at the hospital or something like that, but I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, this that's going to... I know, because I was looking her it's up. It's not going to bug me enough to go search nah. through the movie for her, but... I was like, dude, that's Alex's mother. What the fuck? All right. All right. <laughs> All right, so that rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. We should give you some warnings. 
warnings. Our warnings have to involve spoilers. Sorry, but that's the case. It's all satanic based. That's Precisely, the warning. dude. I mean, if it's you've a seen religious the, horror movie, I was gonna say if you've seen the poster or if you know anything about pop culture, <laughs> you know of it. Maybe even secondhand know of it. Little bit of blood and gore. Yeah, a little bit here and there. Some mild language. I don't think there's ever like really harsh language. I'm no, not really. Like I said, there's some violence and stuff like that. It's to be expected. Because of the themes, if you're not comfortable with supernatural things, even though there's not, I don't know, I don't want to get too much in that right now. But, I mean, when you're dealing with religious themes, you're going to expect some weird stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. All that stuff. (laughs) If you're not comfortable with creepy Latin chanting. Yeah, exactly. That... 1970s films, Gregory Peck, for whatever reasons. Yeah, I mean, that pretty much covers our bases, right? Satan covers so. our bases. <laughs> Touch base with Satan, yeah, pretty much. A little bit of blood and gore. I mean, and yeah. That's kind of tame in a sense, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Comparatively, but no, we'll get on to all the goods. Yeah, in fact, let's do that and find out how the Omen made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? The Omen. How did it make us squeal, Danny? It has been quite a while since I've watched this film all the way through. I want to say, man, another one of those probably high school, maybe early 20s, if I can remember right. I was trying to think of this earlier. Maybe high school. I might have rewatched it sometime in high school. I think I watched it in junior high and this might have been the last time I watched it. It was in that time period, God, I haven't made this reference in a long time, but it was in that time period when my parents still wouldn't let me watch The Exorcist. Oh, wow. But, you know, because I wasn't allowed to watch The Exorcist till I turned 13. But my mom is also kind of into horror movies, and so she recommended The Omen one time. And like so I watched The Omen before I watched Exorcist. It's like Exorcist Light. Yeah. <laughs> but shit, like... Maybe I watched it again sometime in high school. Maybe I rewatched it right before the remake came out, but I don't think I actually did. It's another one of those films, too grown up, they would have like marathons and shit like that where, you know, these styles of films would pop up. And normally I wouldn't even bother because I'd catch it like in the middle of it. And then like, you know, as a kid, you don't always have the patience to wait around for it to come back around. Like, fuck that, I'm going to do something else. Jesus, as an adult, I sometimes don't have the patience for it to come back around. I'm getting to that. So time is precious. If I catch you in the middle of it, sorry, I'm probably not going to watch it unless I've seen you a million times before. Mm -hmm. But if I haven't, then I'm not. I do feel like during some of those marathons, I must have ran into it partway through because I remember Gregory Peck looking Mm. like the way he does in this movie. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway... As for this time around, like, I'm glad we watched it. It's a great movie. Yeah, me too. I can it see it's important. It also isn't exciting enough to, like, super blow my skirt up. Right. But it's a fucking great movie. Yeah. There's some things in it that are really well done. There's some there's some silliness in this film, too. I'll admit there's some silliness in it. But the reason it's silly is because it was silly to me. So I'll mention those when I get the chance. Are you familiar with Good Omens at all? I looked it up as you guys were talking about it. I was like, let me make sure I'm not thinking about something else. It's like, nah, I'm not. I'm familiar with the people who are in it, but I'm not familiar with the show. So you should watch the show. You should read the book. Everyone should. This is my fucking, everyone go do that. Just a few months ago, over on one of my other podcasts, General Nerdery, 
we did a couple episodes talking about the book and the show. And I now, after having rewatched this movie, really, really wish that I would have also rewatched this movie to help do those podcasts because I've read Good Omens, I don't know, like probably on average once a year for the past 10 years. Oh, nice. Like, it's one of my favorite books of all time. The TV show is fucking phenomenal. The way it was originally sold to me is it's like the Book of Revelation rewritten by Monty Python. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. I like where that's going. And so I always thought of those elements of it. The entire, like, bone structure of the plot of that book is the omen. That's why it's good omens. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense when you put it in that context. So... I'm just going to get a, some of these things out of the way just to help sort of sell you on it. and just sort Oh, of, yeah, dude, I'm cool. And because it, like, it ties in, it's cool. Like, right, I mean, otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it. Some of the major differences, but the things where it lines up, the premise of the book is the Antichrist has been born. In the beginning, it's not two kids. A third kid gets thrown into the mix. Mm. And so that screws it up. So instead of the Antichrist going to... It's not like a super major diplomat, but it is the American cultural attache to Britain. Okay, okay. <laughs> it instead goes to this just super, super average <laughs> middle class English couple in the countryside. That's funny. And instead of being named Damien, he gets named Adam. You can correct me if I'm wrong here. It sounds similar to like at least this portion of the Monty Python, The Life of Brian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, switch ruse. And especially in the younger, in the growing up parts, there's an angel and a demon who have both been stationed on Earth since it was created, and they've kind of grown to like the place, and they're really likened to almost like Cold War era spies, where they kind of like <laughs> knew each other. <laughs> That's funny. You know what I mean? Hey. Like, and so they both kind of like it, and they know that now the Antichrist has been born, that like Armageddon's right around Things the corner, change, yeah. so they want to try to stop it. So huh. instead of the kid getting a purely evil education like he does in this movie, they do a lot of the same thing, like a nanny shows up, except a nanny shows up, but then also a gardener who's like an angel shows up to try to even it out. Gotcha. So there's a balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's but it doesn't funny. matter because that's not the Antichrist. The Antichrist is being is actually right. this normal kid. That is funny, dude. Which they find out like at a birthday party uh, where <laughs> a hellhound is supposed to show up. That's awesome. That's funny. And like the demon gets a call, like, "Oh shit, is the hound there yet?" And he's looking around, like, <laughs> "Hound? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Of course he's here. <laughs> that's awesome. It makes sense if you watch this film." And then, like, the hospital gets burnt down by the forces of evil after everything happens, and it destroys the records and shit. And, like, it's kind of all there. It's the skeleton. Yeah, the bones. skeleton's yeah. there. It's just it, it builds more off of that and encompasses a lot more of Armageddon than this oh, single awesome. movie does. And it also doesn't happen until the kid's older. Like, the kid's, like, 11 when his power starts to come to him rather than, like, the five or six that he yeah, is. Yeah, exactly, five maybe four or five yeah it's pretty fast in this one but i think that's really cool man that you can still toy around with those ideas and have something really and turn it into one of the greatest comedies i've ever read so there you go dude i think that's awesome it shows its relevance this might be a little bit of a spoiler but even 
the director. So this is coming from Richard Donner, even though I'm paraphrasing it. He said he likens the success of this film. He says he pretty much owes it to the writing. Mm. He says without the story and without the writing, it just wouldn't translate well. Which is even more funny when the writer is openly said that he wrote this for the fucking money. You know, and he's like, I was broke as a joke. I just churned something out. Sometimes you need some motivation. That was his motivation, you know, which is interesting, man. All this stuff is interesting given the name of the film, too, which wasn't even the original title. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah. So it was originally straight up the Antichrist. And they, then it yeah. got changed to the birthmark. Yep. But then when they were filming in the hospital, <laughs> it's so funny. The fucking, what is it, like actual people? That yeah, it was like an actual in Italian the in the maternity ward. Yeah, the nurses. And I think even some of, you know, the, the women. Yeah, they were like, they didn't like the fact that they were talking about birthmarks. She's like, no, 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 just call it the omen, you know, instead of the birthmark because it's scaring people in here. And it stuck. Yeah, because the sign that they had while they were filming scenes was, you know, please be quiet. We're filming the birthmark. And that's what, I guess, set them off. And then they changed it to the omen and it stuck. So... Hence why it's called The Omen. All right. So while we're talking about on different things that could have been, did you <laughs> wow. see the list of actors in line that almost were fucking Robert Thorne? Yeah. I've already mentioned one of them with Charles Bronson. I was like, damn, okay. I know they mentioned him. And uh, I know they've mentioned some others as well. William Holden, Charlton Heston, uh, Dick Van Dyke, James Coburn. Dude, I saw the other one right here too. Roy Scheider. That's pretty wild, man. Dick Van Dyke, Roy Scheider. Dang, dude, that's pretty wild. I'm glad we got the Gregory Peck version. Like, some of those I think are amazing actors, but I don't know if I can necessarily imagine what this movie would be like with them, them. in those roles. Yeah. Like, Roy Scheider is a great actor. I don't know if I want Roy Scheider no. as Robert Thorne. Heston, though. He would have done well. I'm glad that Gregory Peck was in this role. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to lie. But the point I was going to make is so sometimes. These projects find you and, you know, things work out and whatnot. And some of this was coinciding with a difficult time in his life, too, as one of his sons. It said that he committed suicide. He believed that his son was murdered. Mm. I don't know enough to give my opinion. That's just what I've seen and read and heard and all that good stuff. But he decided to do this because he liked the script. And, you know, when he got on board to do this film... Pretty much everything came in place. Like everybody else was on board because of its subject matter. And you got to think about the time period this came out in as well. So it says a lot about the film in general, just his presence. Right. You know, while we're going on some of these a little bit more behind the scene things before we get into the movie, also a movie whose production was said to have been cursed. Yeah, I saw all that stuff tied to it too. I was like, well, wow. David Seltzer's plane was hit by lightning during filming. So was Gregory Peck's and one of the executive producers. Oh, man. Did you see, I think it was one of the effects people on this, what happened to their girlfriend? Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah. That wow. same producer, Mace Newfeld, uh, was staying at a hotel during the production that was bombed by the IRA. Yeah, that's fucking bonkers, man. So was a restaurant that Dick Donner and some of the actors were supposed to eat at. Then there was the special effects consultant... Is this what you were getting at? The yeah. car wreck? Yep. On Friday the 13th, August 1976, wrecked his car. His assistant was with a... That's who the Oh, no, the was. assistant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Was sliced through, and as he got up out of the wreckage, 
there was a road sign for Amen, O-M-M-E-N. Yeah. 66.6 kilometers. Man. So. <laughs> That's so wild. So, you know, take what you want from that. Maybe it was a sign. July 4th, 2021. Popular Spanish program, Cuarto Milenio, runs a highly rated report about the film and its famous curse. The next day, Richard Donner's reported dead. I know. That's <laughs> some weird fucking timing. No, we can all just chalk it up to, you know, pure coincidence. Right. This is not, like, the thing about super common, but sometimes they happen. Yeah, and not only that, but they're not as uncommon as we like to think sometimes, too, you know? Just shit happens, man. But still... Yeah, I mean, pretty weird fucking crazy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a whole documentary about this kind of stuff, you know, like cursed sets and all that shit. I can't remember the exact name of it, but I know Shutter has it. Mm-hmm. Anywho, it's another one of those films had some weird coincidences, some tragedy, some unlikely events happen around it. But how much you want to believe in that, it's up to you. I mean, kind of neat things though, too. Um, oh no doubt. One of the more memorable roles in this movie is Mrs. Baylock played by Billy Whitelaw, who was going to quit because she was in a theater production, but when she called, there was no one there to answer. That's so, so crazy. So she was locked it? into a role who the producers wanted to get rid of, but Dick Donner loved it too much that he made her a giant part of it. Right. Even the writer, I had mentioned him, just David Seltzer, he said you know, they wrote more for her, her part, because mm-hmm. she kind of played against it when she auditioned, too. They wanted something just like a plain old nanny or whatever. Which you went in and she the nanny gave them a in the remake is a lot closer to the original script nanny. That's awesome. So just goes to show, man, you can make some changes on the fly. Mm-hmm. So that's also cool, like on the good side of things, right? Hell yeah! I mean, if it works in your favor, which I think it does in this case, you know, with the overall feel for this film, I think it ties in some things too. You know, if we're gonna go down that route. With the Satan cult, Satanic cult, what have you. I was like, you know, they did a good job without revealing too much, but giving you just enough to where you're like, okay, I'm not completely stupid. (laughs) You know what I mean? So she does a fantastic job and another one of those good omens, if you will. Yeah. You know, another good one we've already kind of alluded to was the writer, once again, David Seltzer, broke as fuck. This huge hit for him, yeah. and not only him, but Richard Donner, who had pretty much up to this point just worked on some minor projects, was working in television. He even said he'd be happy working in television, but he said because of this film, he met his wife. He got to work on Superman and everything we've already mentioned he afterward. Made us believe a man could fly. I know, dude. Dude, and here's the thing: like, have you noticed all these fucking stories about Dick Donner that are coming out of the woodwork? Like, now past his death. It seems like he was, like, maybe one of these actually super fucking good guys that, like, you only wish you could have fucking met. I can't even remember who told it. I wish I could just to credit it properly. But one of the stories was, like, there was only one time they ever heard him yell at somebody on set. And it was like he was yelling at this stagehand and the guy was close enough to hear the entire conversation and he sort of yelled at him like what are you doing get out of here and then he sort of pulled him aside and was like i know that your son has like this thing going on you need to go Uh, like go see his concert or whatever because he had overheard him talking to like one of the other stagehands about it the day before he's like i need you for the rest of the movie but your son needs you today 
That's pretty awesome, man, because that could easily be taken out of context if mm-hmm. you just hear a fragment of that whole conversation. Like, get out of here. You don't know that whole meaning behind it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty awesome, man. There's just been a ton of little things like that pouring out. Like well, That's good to hear because typically we hear the opposite posthumously about certain people. Like, mm-hmm. I have to name names, but more times than not, you're like, oh, no, here comes the dirt. <laughs> right? No, that's good to hear because... It seemed in the interviews with everybody involved, they had a great time on set. Probably lent his hand to why it was a success, too. Here's something interesting. This is tied right back into what we're kind of mentioning here, is that Gregory Peck and Richard Donner had a disagreement on set about how Peck's character was supposed to handle the death of his wife. Yeah, yeah. And it was because of the dailies that, and he also mentioned, he's like, you know, you're my director even though I don't agree with you, I'm going to do what you want me to do. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. So that's what he did. And he watched the dailies and he's like, yeah, <laughs> I guess you're right. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but I mean, that's, it just goes to show that, you know, he's willing to listen and give you his opinions too. And not just fold. We already mentioned all the different actors that turned down this project. Oh yeah. But Peck also almost turned it down or backed out of it once he was on set when he saw some of the like, prosthetics and stuff that they were using for the violence and gore effects that they do use in the movie. And he was like, this isn't the kind of movie I signed on for. Like, this isn't what I'm going for. Like, I'm I'm Gregory Peck. I'm a serious fucking actor. Dude, do you not? What? What's going on here? (laughs) I mean, I don't know if he was that haughty about it, but like. No, I mean, it, it comes with a certain pedigree. But once again, once he started to see how Richard was actually using them. Yeah, exactly. It made a lot more sense. And he stayed on with it. And I want to point that out, just like, if there's any would-be future Hall of Fame fucking horror directors listening to us, go hard, because you can always pull back through editing. You can't add something you didn't shoot. It's hard to pull off and make it look good. So even if you don't want to make a fucking gore film, those effects need to be beyond what you think you need. Because you can always pull back through editing, uh, exactly. through camera shots, through angles, but you can't shoot what isn't there. Man, solid point, dude. You're right. You can always do things <clears throat> post that's already been shot. Not the, the inverse. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting to note, too, because of the time period, once again, 1976. This is, you know, pre-CG and all that good stuff. And they talked about the practical effects they had to do in this film, you know, rigging up. Holly Palance, then Annie, the weather vane from the church spire or whatever. Yeah, um, maybe one of the most famous decapitations in all of horror movies. Right. I know it's iconic. It gets talked about anytime you ring up a list. So, yeah, it pulled off some pretty amazing things for its time period. It might not look so great today, but it still holds up. Still pretty decent. Let's get into the movie a little bit. We'll talk about those a little bit more as we get to them. That way we actually get through some of this. And intersperse it with the interesting stuff. That sounds mean, but let's be honest. Like, this movie codifies <laughs> this, The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby, oh, those gosh. three together. You've seen every fucking evil child movie. Maybe not cult movie, but every specifically Christianity-based oh, cult movie. yeah, for sure, dude. Without a doubt. Kind of like if you see, what is it, Wicker, Wicker Man, Man yeah. and those other two. You could say, what was it? Uh, You've seen almost every folk movie, folk horror. Right, 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 right. It's not a bad thing, but it also makes going back to this movie, you're like, 
okay, I understand how this was groundbreaking at the time, but I have also now seen it 200 times in my life. That's what we're getting at. After a certain point, because of time and because of its significance, and it doesn't make it worse, it no, just it makes doesn't. it harder to be excited about it. Right. Because we have perspective on it, and you know, it does give me an appreciation for what it did back then. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't it's always like, mean. God damn it! Thinking about that, those three films helped kick off the satanic panic uh, and dude. all that stupid bullshit. That's kind of what I'm getting at too. I'm like, man, I was reading a little bit. You can read on it too. It's it's on Wikipedia because it talks about the time period and kind of the stuff that was going on here in the states and the West in general and stuff like that. And, this you can kind of understand a weird it impact on Christianity in the United States. That's what I'm saying. You have to put those kind of things in perspective if you want to give an honest, you know, review or opinion on it. Yeah, like that's how big of an impact this film had is that there are 100% some people out there that if you press them on certain parts of their Christian knowledge will bring up points originating in this movie rather than in the Bible. <laughs> that's funny, but it's true, man, because not everybody's well-versed in what they think they know. But that's how big of an impact it had. So it's hard to go into this expecting to be surprised. You so it's cool. It it's it's fucking great. No, I, that's what I like, too. Is like, even but I also like, disbelief, I've seen it. Even though I haven't seen it since <laughs> junior yeah. high, I've seen it. It's like we've already, and you've already mentioned, too, The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, a slew of other films that fall into this mold. Yeah, you could say this is, you know, part of the triumvirate, if you want to call it that, but... Yeah, Satanic I, triumvirate. Yeah, and that's fine. That's fine. Minute, 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 minute. Now I'm way more into this. Let's go. Omen. Minute, minute, minute. I mean, it's awesome, man, but even the way, for instance, that this film kicks it off, which I was like, okay, yeah, they're that's out there. That's a heavy is, open. Yeah, it is. Even the date that they give, June 6th, 6 a.m., 1976. I'm like, okay, if that doesn't spell it out already for you, you're right. Super bleak opening, just a voiceover, and you're like, damn, someone lost a baby. That's fucked up. That's not the most fucked up thing, though, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> just being like, well, Shit. here, take this baby. Dude. <laughs> I, I know like, you just lost a baby, but here, we got a baby. We got an extra baby lying around. <laughs> like, all right, all right, all right. Not only is it shady that they're conducting business in this manner and that the church is exploiting his grief and this tragedy. We'll get back to that a little bit later on, but he's not the only victim, Gregory Peck. He's also playing into the plight of his wife mm -hmm. and deceiving her with a child that's not theirs, dude, and trying to pass it off as theirs. I was like, that's fucked up, dude. It's like, even right. if you are grieving and don't know what to do, that's like, that's not a really good excuse. I will say, in good omens, the parents don't know. Okay. Neither the parents know, so oh, well, it's not fucked case, up in that Yeah, moment. in this case, it is. Okay. Yeah, but he know, like he's <laughs> like, uh, are, are, the kid's got no family? Uh, fuck. All right. <laughs> the mother died. And I'm like, oh, sorry, man, don't, don't exploit this guy and that kid. Here's something, too. Along with the fucked up part, there was also some, I told you there's some humor in this, mm -hmm. and maybe it was just me, but as, who was it, Father Spoleto was the guy who was selling the idea to him to adopt Damien, even though we don't, you know, that's not his name or nothing like that, just the kid. The nun that was holding him, 
she was selling it to Gregory Peck. She kind of yeah. like, I, I started giggling the second time I watched this because it's like, God damn, boy, she's selling the sympathy and like, you know, playing on the heart scene. <laughs> Look at the kid. <laughs> Wait, Jesus, Murphy, man, this is fucked up. All right, so I did have a question because this kind of leads into, you know, Yes, I still want a roller coaster birthday. <laughs> that would be awesome. That's not necessarily my question, but it would be a good question to ask. Is during the events when they moved to London from Rome, there's a scene where it's just Gregory Peck and Lee Remick, you know, husband and wife in that scene. Right. And I'm like, ah, because we learn later on, spoiler, learn later on that she becomes pregnant. And I was like, is this the scene leading into her conceiving mm. the child, so to speak? It's like, huh, I never, I mean, not necessarily that is important, but I'm like, maybe this is the scene because he talks about, like, you maybe you're too sexy to be in the White House. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was flirting with her big time. Like, let's let's go check out the upstairs. So like, there's, there's not any furniture there either. It's okay. <laughs> Got walls, she right? Like, almost like the melodramatic, like, jacket drop. Yeah. It was a beautifully framed scene, though. Oh, this is where, getting a little nerdy here, but the fact that they brought on that particular DP I mentioned earlier, Gilbert Taylor, they shot this in 2.35 to 1. Okay. Because of the intimacy that you get with characters mm. in these particular moments. And that was something that Donner was like, ah, he was not really sold on the idea. And he said Taylor invited him out, and they just shot, like, just at parks and stuff. Mm. And he went back, and they watched it, and he's like, oh. <laughs> he's like, yeah, this... He was talking about the framing, kind of like what you're getting at. So it makes sense. But yeah, that's the sexy scene. I think that maybe kicked it off. And this leads into another thing that I noticed. If you know anything about this film, especially the second time through, there's a scene where they're walking just by like the stream or whatever. Yeah. And they get nervous and panicky because they're like, where's Damien? Where did he go? And it's, you know, you're like, oh, damn, did he fall in the water? And then he's just kind of smiling. It's like... You know, as innocent as that fucking scene is, the best thing they could have done was punted his ass right into the water. <laughs> they had every chance to just, <laughs> whoopsie daisies. Don't know what happened to him. He vanished. We turned uh -oh. her back one second. There's water. There's his toy. They don't know at this point, though. That's what I'm getting at. They have no idea. It's just the way that it's framed. It, it seems mm -hmm. innocent. You know, there's a little tension there, a little mischievousness already that we're unaware of. Even the kid might be unaware of, maybe. <laughs> but I was like, man, they should have booted his ass right in the water. Anyway. So, like, I know part of Donner's goal was to make sure that there was nothing overtly supernatural in this movie to make it seem like Richard Thorne could just be having a mental breakdown. And I appreciate that. But I don't think it works. We see too much oh, of what's actually going on. Right, right. And, and Balok is way too obviously evil. However, I think there is the argument to be made whether Damien knows what he's doing or not. Solid point, too, because you could argue that. He might not know what's going on. Right. Maybe not the complete picture, but maybe he knows some of the acts, per se. You know, like the intent of some of these deeds, but he doesn't get exactly the overall part of like, oh, I'm the Antichrist. Oh, I'm set up for this quite yet. Mm -hmm. I don't think he understands that. But I don't think this movie does a good job at all of selling oh, the no. fact that, that this is like Richard the might or... just be going crazy. No, I don't believe so. I will say, because there are no overt supernatural elements, 
if you just lived in this universe and were observing it from the outside, it probably would look like Richard Thorne was just going crazy. Yeah, well, I do. You need to chill. But we have too much more personal of a viewpoint than that. Right. And because we do get to see that, and once again, <laughs> we have to suspend our disbelief because this is not real, A. But, yeah, I think there's too much that they're giving us, right? To be like, oh, this is a breakdown of the family unit. You could maybe make a com- like a social commentary on that aspect of the film, but I don't think that's its intent. Even though Donner did want that in his film, that they didn't go in that direction. And honestly, at this point, like... If you want to do the weird antagonistic relationship between mother and kid, like Babadook already does it better. Oh, sometimes that can be a very divisive statement (laughs) because not everybody likes that film. I'm not on board with that. I really like that film a lot. Yeah. And I like her follow up. That's neither here nor there, but I still haven't watched the follow up. It's good. Yeah, it's heartbreaking, but it's good. I agree with you, though. I'm glad they went in Seltzer's direction, even though I'm not always the biggest fan of you know when you start dealing with jesus and that stuff but i like the angle with this because they don't go too heavy into that at all well i was thinking about this earlier because i know that both me and you there's a certain point where it's like eh. yeah and that point is when it's like kind of what they did with the conjuring when oh, it's dear. like if you're just trying to attack the general forces of evil with jesus it's like fucking jerk me off yeah exactly. but if it, this is fully established that you're dealing with the devil and you're trying to fight it then yeah turning to jesus makes sense precisely because that fits right into its universe yeah hello so yes i'm okay so, with that yeah within this one it's like because they're not, not preachy, fighting just... evil in general no, they're fighting a the very Antichrist. specific evil. Yeah, it's like, okay, they're literally, in their terms, playing by their book. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm fine with that. But not with, like what you were just saying. Not when you're like, oh, Jesus. It's evil, so let's fight it with Jesus. I'm like, dude, get the fuck out of here with that nonsense. It's like, let's figure out what kind of evil it's being. Cosmic Maybe it horror. Maybe a hug. Right, yeah. Let's fight <laughs> cosmic horror with Jesus. I don't, you know, good luck. <laughs> Jesus ain't going to do shit against Cthulhu. Good luck, bro. I mean, I'm pulling for you, but I don't have any hope. (laughs) All right. So with all of that being said, this does lead into the birthday party because there's like a speed up sequence where the kid's now like, what, five or whatever he is. Most famous sequence of this entire film. Holy shit. Yeah. I forgot how it's set up because everything seems so what a birthday party is, right? Happy, joyful. Everybody's having a good time. Kids are riding rides and shit, you know? And then you hear the nanny. This is after the mom kind of gets a little jealous of mm-hmm. the nanny. And, yeah, you hear her. She's like, Damien, I love you. Damien, it's all for you, Damien. Yeah, look at me, Damien. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> Don't look. No. no. It's Who's, a psych out. It's like the U.S. Embassy have to foot the bill for all those kids' therapy. No kidding, right, man? Damn. All the GI Bill covered that shit. <laughs> God damn. No. I would be remiss if I didn't at least point this out. And it makes sense in the film's context. That's when the Rottweiler shows up. Yeah. And she becomes kind of entranced by it. Mm-hmm. Some might even say influenced. <laughs> you know, who's to say? But, yeah, I mean, that leads to her iconic death scene. It's pretty gnarly because she goes crashing through that window. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> God damn. Whew. But, yeah, I mean, huge payoff, iconic we're still talking about it. The actress even says, you know, like, that helped her career quite a bit. <laughs> How would it not? I know. And 
you know, just like any, I guess, person under the right circumstances would have reservations about pulling that shit off because it was all practical. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she had everything rigged up and she was safe, you know, otherwise they wouldn't do it. But, <laughs> dude, what the fuck? Yeah, this isn't Twilight Zone movie set. <laughs> Talking about heads rolling down, man. That's fucked up. <laughs> uh, here's another fucked up thing. Here's where Robert Thorne, he meets Father Brennan because somebody wants to meet him. He lets him in. And he starts going on this psycho babble. I mean, it's not psycho babble, but you know, he's like, you don't always want to lean in too heavy on the scriptures when you first meet yeah. somebody. It's like you might want to ease them into this conversation. So that was Brandon's entire problem, right? Like, if he would have <laughs> approached any of these conversations like a sane man, right? This movie's half as long. Oh, it's like, yeah, dude, like I'm dying. And they definitely killed the Antichrist. Yeah. Of course, the way this story unfolds, we do learn that. I mean, I get it. Father Brennan, we learned that he was dying from cancer, and yeah. he was trying to make amends for his role and what happened. So he, he has a limited time. But you still have enough time to explain yourself without sounding like a complete nutcase. Just like write yourself <laughs> a script while you're being stocky McStockerson and finding out dude's schedule. Yeah. Talk it out. Talk it out. Say it. Keep saying it. Does it sound right? What else are you doing? If somebody said this to you, how does that sound? <laughs> Other than like replastering fucking more Bible pages up on your fucking wall. Yeah. It's like, that's not helping your cause. I'm sorry. It's not. It never has, in my opinion. Oh, <laughs> all right. Because of the nanny's death, this is where we get introduced to the new nanny, right? Miss Baylock. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I have to make a comment here. I said, and this is a question. I said, did anybody do a background check <laughs> before hiring nannies or caretakers back then or for any position back then? Because he's like, oh, yeah, the agency, because I saw the, the pay, you know, we know. <laughs> like, what? And then their conversation, the couple, is like, oh, well, I thought you. you did it. That's, I'm like, whoa, that's negligence. Well, that's the thing. Like, all right, so, but did anybody do the follow up? Like, after she handed over right. her references, did anybody actually call the agency? They just took it, no puns, but on good faith. <laughs> what the fuck? That was sketchy to begin with. Mm-hmm. She uh, wants to be alone with the kid, too? Yeah, like, I feel like I kind of understood that. It was just that she was super weird about it. So, how about you let me observe you first? And then I'll make a decision. She kept that. coming back around to it too pushy and too quickly. Yeah. Like if she would have met them, she could just be smoother about it. Like but get a couple more sentences in and just bring it back around. Maybe it's not the worst idea. No, I to, agree. I agree. I was going to say maybe a little bit in this film's defense. This goes back. What we just said about Father Brennan. It's like these people aren't very good conversationalists. <laughs> no, they're good at hailing Satan. <laughs> they are. Hail Satan all day long. Got that covered. Well, they're not good on the small talk, man. No. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> they never make it overt in this movie, but the doctor that's trying to convince Gregory Peck to sign off on the abortion, he's totally part of Satan cult, right? Oh, yeah. So doubt. he's the only one that's actually smooth with this shit. Right. He has a certain pedigree and he has an in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But even like his conversation, like he's trying to steer it a certain way, but he's not being weird about it, Mrs. Baylock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what is going on with these people? He is so much tra- more charming and good at it. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, 
this is me just saying a joke, but it's like, it makes you wonder. It's like, is everybody in London like this? What the fuck is happening? <laughs> What's going on? Baylock's also like, yeah, you shouldn't bring him to church. Yeah, not only that, but her first thing that I think she says to him is she says, have no fear, little one. I'm here to protect thee. <laughs> what? What? What you say, Satan? <laughs> but you're right. Hail Satan. Yeah, she's like, he wouldn't feel comfortable. And I'm like, all right, in this kid's defense, if someone was trying to take me to church against my will. <laughs> uh, you're throwing a fucking fit, especially if you're five years old, too. Like, I don't want to be here. Who the fuck are these people? What are we doing here? So we're never given enough information to know this or not. But <laughs> as they're rolling up on the church, Damien is playfully wearing his father's hat. His mark is on his head. Right. If his mother wouldn't have took the hat off, uh, would that have been enough of a quote-unquote disguise for this child of Satan perhaps. to actually enter the church? Perhaps. That's a good point. That's never really explained. But. Because you can you can argue, based on what happens with <laughs> Father Brennan, that Satan has some influence on church grounds, at least. That's a good point, man. <laughs> it's hard to argue. <laughs> there's i think maybe even a little foreshadowing in that too with he looks up at the like the angel and shit yeah and not necessarily and not just that is uh <laughs> is the way that father brennan dies a little bit later on too oh, it the... happens to come from <laughs> yeah from above and all that shit maybe it's just pure coincidence but i don't think so but i was like all right that's good that's the first sign of the kid freaking out on his mom like that all right, so setting up things. This also gets into the Rottweiler being brought in the home. All right, it's fucked up, but cage fight. Oh, <laughs> Damien versus Babadook kid. Oh, shit. Oh, that's a good question. All right. Hell in the Cell. Hell in the Cell. <laughs> Ooh, I like this already. I almost want to go with Damien. The reason I say that is because, I mean, he's the Antichrist. But <laughs> I like the kid from the Babadook because he's... Yeah, he's annoying, but that was more of a projection. Mm -hmm. I think I know if you haven't seen Bob and Duke, <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> but I think that was more of the projection of the mom's anxieties and fears, so it was amplified. I don't yeah. think the kid was really like that. He did a great job acting like that, though. But he was compassionate, and he actually helped make that switch for the mom in the yeah. film. And I was like, ooh, that's where he's going to get exploited. Damien's just going to keep getting more satanic as he unleashes his violence. That's kind of what I'm getting at. And the kid... Even though he's an illusionist and he can play tricks on him, we're talking about the Antichrist here, dude. I was about to say, he's a touch older and he's got the reach, but he also definitely seems to be a bit more frail than Damien, too. Yeah, so right now I'm going with Damien. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to go with Damien, too. <laughs> That's just me. I'm not always going to go with Satan, but I'm, this time I'm going to go with Satan. I'm especially going with Damien if it's a ladder match. Oh, <laughs> dude, yeah. Especially if you're a woman, look out. <laughs> Shit. Don't carry child, is what I'm saying. He's doing some of those Andy Kaufman wrestling matches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's fucking funny. Oh, yeah. All right. So, Robert, he he doesn't like the fact that Baylock brought in the dog. And she's like, oh, you know. She's trying to defend him. He's like, oh, the kid's already growing attached. He's like, he kind of stands up for himself finally. Right? Yeah, I'm like, okay, man, you finally grew some balls. But, you know. You didn't do it around the wife. You just did it right then and there. And, and he made a solid point, too, because it's like, what the fuck are you doing with this dog in the house, dude? What are you doing? I don't know you like that. How much are Gregory Peck and his wife, like, <laughs> conversing about this shit? Because I feel like if she would have told him how hard it was just to get Mrs. Baylock 
to get her kid to fucking church. Dude. Combined with this dog thing, like, that should be bye-bye, new nanny. Like, Yeah, you're, this is a little chaotic right now. Maybe we need to settle this and mind our own child and stuff, you know? But... Like I said, once again, if, you, if you're reading into maybe a social commentary on the West or whatever, you could say, oh, that's the breakdown of the family unit. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, you can make that argument. But I don't think that's the case, once again. This leads into another incident. This is where the mom and Damien go to the zoo and they get the baboon incident. So this is both the part where, like, if I'm the mom, I'm convinced now that my kid is the Antichrist because, like, <laughs> animals shouldn't be acting like this. It's also one of the actual scariest parts of the movie because fucking monkeys will fuck your shit up. Dude, yeah, they don't mess around. There ain't no monkey business here. <laughs> Especially in those kind of confines. They're already, like, jacked up as it is. Like, you try, try something. Try something, homie. Stick your hand out. <laughs> like, I was sitting there like, I would be shitting myself if I was in that car. Yeah, and apparently and supposedly for that scene, they were trying to rile up the baboons, and they pulled it off. And so the reaction that Lee Remick gives is apparently authentic because she was spooked by it. Well, did you? I heard. Well, she was getting her hair pulled by the fucking alpha. Oh, my God. Damn. That's crazy, isn't it? But. Whatever. I mean. Deliver the goods. Yeah. Sorry. This is where she does start to confide into Gregory Peck that she has fears and that she wants to get help and help me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, basically. So, I mean, she's already starting to feel that. She knows something's up. She knows something's off with the kid, right? Yeah. Once again, Brandon comes by. He wants to meet at the park until he gives him this five minutes. So he pretty much spells out, right? She's pregnant. This is where he starts a fucking conversation with that fucking poem. Yeah. Just to make everything seem super weird that comes after, <laughs> no matter how much sense he would talk. He's like, he's like, I'm here. Go ahead and tell me what you want. What's your business, dude? Yeah. It's like, all right, here we go again. <laughs> Everything that Brandon tells him is true. Right. As cryptic as fuck as it was, you know, at the beginning, it it does, you know, come true. But he spells a lot of things out, you know, about her being pregnant, about the kid being the Antichrist and wanting to pretty much kill the entire family one Mm -hmm. by one. Starting with the kid, then the wife, then you. (laughs) You know, spells it out. He's born. He don't need you anymore. Right. They do the poem, which the poem is not a real... He's like, this is why I'm (laughs) pro-choice. Yeah, the, that poem that they read off towards the end about the sea and all that stuff. Right, it's not from the Bible. No, they don't even call it the book of Revelation. They call it Revelations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but that was all intentional. The whole point being, though, is that he tells them, go see Bugenhagen and Megiddo. That was kind of his thing because that guy knows some shit that you need to go there for. Which if I'm you're not going to listen to me, go do this. Maybe he'll right. convince you. This guy's got some info. All right. So after they split up, this storm kicks up, and it sends Father Brennan in this like, little frenzy, which leads to his death. Ultimately, it does. And the Final Destination film franchise. There you guys are the start of it, man. <laughs> I think they've admitted that the Omen was part of their I could uh, see several films. I wouldn't necessarily say biting, but it was a huge influence on certain films. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense, too, the time period, all that good stuff. All right. Because we know that Catherine is pregnant because of Father Brennan. She's up hanging up some <laughs> well, shit. she's not pregnant because of no, Father Brennan. Because of what he says is what I'm saying. <laughs> because of his expo he just dumped on us. She's like upstairs hanging on whatever the hell she's doing, right? And the kid's riding the tricycle. Were you getting Shining vibes? Do you think Cooper kind of bit off the omen a bit? It wouldn't surprise me, man. It wouldn't surprise me, you know? 
Because I'm sitting there like Damien, Danny. Damien, Danny. There's not too much difference. Coincidence, I did grow up in a neighborhood that had a Damien, and he was super cool. We played Hmm. basketball together. NBA. Did you guys ever like get on trikes and ride around the block? Never got to do that. He was a little bit older than me. Okay. So I never got to do that. But we played basketball a lot. (laughs) Anyway, this is where he rides his tricycle right into her, and she falls over the railing. The most implausible fall once he unhooks her hands. I mean, of course it's theatrical. Look, there's no way he was going to be able to help her. Save, go get Miss Blaylock, who wasn't going to help her. No way. She had the intent of, like, let's get both of them at the same time. So she was going to fall regardless. Yeah. Yeah, that was her fate, ultimately. It was a foreshadow, too. (laughs) I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, so we had to suspend our disbelief in a lot of different ways here. That's one of them. The second one being is that I think that was kind of more of a foreshadowing of her ultimate death in a mm-hmm. little bit. But it was another way to get rid of the kid and kind of like lead into this prophecy, so to speak. You know, now she's at the hospital. Well, this is all where it sort of starts to oh, pick up. Yeah, like thing it after does. thing happens because Gregory Peck's now on a quest. Like he's like, my wife's hurt. I got to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. I was told to like the priest is dead, so I can't go ask him any more shit. But the fucking photog is knows some shit that was yeah where david warner mm-hmm. right his character that was actually a good introduction of a character because it actually makes sense the guy was photographing a bunch of shit from the get-go and he started piecing things together about these recent string of deaths you know including nanny now father brennan he happened to photograph both of them he happened to see some shit in that photography that it's like whoa it's too much of a coincidence yeah and it kicks their like little bromance off <laughs> Which is good. I mean, it it leads to this, like, action beat, so to speak. Makes you wonder how much of this is inevitable. How much of it is just in part of God's plan. It's a part of the plan. Can't pray that away. Judas was part of the plan. I totally agree with that, dude. Shoo-wee. All right. This might be the only chance I get to say this, right? (laughs) If it wasn't for Judas, we wouldn't. What I can put we in this big quotation mark. Yeah, you wouldn't have the whole sacrifice and all that other shit. Mm -hmm. It's a piece of the puzzle. You know, it was a part of the plan. Not his fault. So the Antichrist can be part of the plan, too. Precisely. Like, you know, it is what it is, dude, but it's in there. It's in that, it's in that book. <laughs> Holy book. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, we both kind of... Because folk horror is just as much a cult movie as right. this is. This is just a very specific folk. Right. It hones in on something very specific, yeah. Right. So that's the good thing about any well-done folk horror movie is they're fucked by the time they're in it. Yeah, that's the whole point. <laughs> so, like, they're kind of fucked from the get-go on this, according to these pictures, right? Yeah, like, oh. This is that realization in The Wicker Man, where you're like, oh, fuck. Too late. It's been too late. Yeah, I mean, Second he showed up on the island, Yeah, it was, it was too late. his fate was sealed, if we're going to speak in those terms, you know, cinematic terms, we have to say, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But you're right, once he got involved with the kid from the get-go, that was a wrap. Yep. Yeah, everything else is just... A byproduct of it, you know? So with all of this knowledge now at hand, right, the photographic evidence of Brennan's and the nanny's death and the 666 birthmark, because he noticed that on Father Brennan. So if that's a birthmark, then Brennan was fated for this from the moment he was born. Right. He was a part of the satanic cult. But then, he, you know, he's having doubts and whatever. Mm -hmm. But it was too late for him. His fate was already sealed. It's in the photos. <laughs> but I pretty much wrote, I was like, no, these two are just going on like a, an adventure together. 
because they're like seeking out info on Damien's birth and they're going to all these different locations. So the fact <laughs> that Father Brennan was putting together the fact that all these omens were happening from assorted newspaper clippings. Yeah. That's in Good Omens. Oh, no shit. Yeah. That's awesome. It's a different, different context. I get, it, I get it, but still, but they once, used it. Yeah. Like, that was one of the ones where I almost shit myself. I'm like, wait, where was he getting this information? <laughs> I was awesome. like, oh, shit. It's just <laughs> like the fucking Witchfinder army. That's awesome. <laughs> Makes me wonder now. I know we're talking about films and borrowing and all that stuff. Idle Hands mm. with newspaper clippings. Mm -hmm. You know, you get the star. He's like, oh, man, maybe. But, <laughs> Yeah. Even though as silly as some of this stuff is, you know, it's like, oh, they're going here, they're going there. The wife's in the hospital the whole fucking time, but they're going on those adventures. I mean, they're not really adventures, but... Adventures. You know what I'm saying. They, I mean, they go to fucking Italy. Yeah, they're like riding the all over the fucking, fucking place, dude. It's like, yeah, let's go right out to the hospital. Oh, it's burned down. Let's go right out to Megiddo. This is in Israel. What the fuck? Yeah. You guys are flying all over the place. They're just fucking jet-setting while she's laid up in the hospital. I mean, yes, he's an ambassador. He has access to these things. But, man, he's, like, really, he's really taking advantage of it. But it does lead to some important expo. For instance, we learn about the hospital being burned down. But Father Spoleto, the guy originally sold him on the idea, did survive it. And he's at, like, this nursing home or where the fuck he's at. This Maybe he's in, like, this certain parish. Yeah. And they go visit him, and he's all fucked up. But he can still write with his janky hand, his left hand that still works. That's a strong hand. Yeah, his strong hand. <laughs> Maybe. Looking at you, scary movie too. <laughs> Perhaps. But he still has enough in him to like write down that cemetery or whatever because he's like, he wants to know what happened mm -hmm. to his kid, what happened to my kid, and all this other stuff. All he finds out, that leads him to that Etruscan cemetery, which is another name for like an ancient Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they go to that cemetery and they discover the remains of Gregory Peck's son, who we thought was supposed to be stillborn. It was actually a sacrifice. And a jackal is what they say, is what they find in the mother's tomb of Damien. Yeah, so Damien's dad is Satan and his mom's a jackal. Yeah. I'm like, all right. And that's how you get little white boys. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jesus Murphy, man. But yeah, I mean, that's what it reveals. But because of this discovery, too, we get that whole Rottweiler scene. And I was listening to it on my soundbar, and I was like, man, this fucking dog barking is way too loud on this soundbar, dude. It's the only problem I had with it, but, you know, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's the hounds of hell. They're there to protect. Apparently, like, I think it was David Warner. I think he got hurt a little bit on the set, like, while they were filming all this shit. Or maybe some of the stunt guys, like, they were getting fucked up, man. Right. Yeah, but... Yeah, all that leads to, at this point now, is they've got enough information at hand. They know some truths, you know, behind all this shit. All right, Robert makes a call to his wife. He's like, look, you need to leave right now and come to Rome. Like, get out of there. We've got a guy. He's coming to pick you up. Do it now, Catherine. And so she's like, all right, she's fucked up. But she starts to, you know, <laughs> take her shit off or whatever. And Manny's there. That's so fucked up. true, like... It's horrifying. That's a fucking... Great jump scare. It is. Opening like, that door to see fucking her standing there. Like, oh, fuck. Because you know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You already know what's going to happen. She goes flying out the window and shit. And her death is pretty gnarly, you know? Yeah. If you think about it, it's a fucked up death. But we've already kind of alluded to it. It was foreshadowed to begin with. It was foretold, too, in the prophecy, the plan. <laughs> All right. 
So now she's dead. And this is where Robert finds out too. He gets the phone call. He starts to break down, which that would, we already mentioned Gregory Peck had objections to it, but the dailies proved otherwise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. They go visit Bugenhagen, he and Keith Jennings. And that's where they're in Megado. And the guy's like, hey, man, I need to talk to Gregory Peck alone. You need to fuck off. Right. And so he fucks off. And he lays I out what he needs to do. Knives. Yeah. He's like, yo, bro. I got this knife set. It's not a pyramid scheme, but hear me out. <laughs> You're going to have to kill a kid. It's a part of our plan. Here's how you do it. Can I have a list of all your friends and acquaintances? <laughs> basically, basically. You know, if you purchase now, you can get the second set. <laughs> so, yeah, he lays it out. It's like, it's kind of like, what the fuck? You got to get them on a hollow ground, a.k.a. a church. And here's a set of dagger knives. And you got to do it a certain way. What the fuck are you talking about? You got to write this shit down. <laughs> this is too much info, man. All right, so he gets all this information. He gets a little pissy. Like, he doesn't want to do it. Do you have to get it right the first time, or can you reinsert into the same hole? I know, like, right? You already have a hole, I mean, but you put it in the wrong order. Can you just switch them does around? It, yeah, does it really matter? It's like, oh, do you have to make a new hole? Let me take that back. <laughs> yeah, can you use the old hole? Just do it. It's like, let me start over. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, so this leads to another iconic scene. We have already mentioned it. Decapitation because decapitation. Yeah, our boy's like digging around, picking shit up, or those well, daggers up. Robert's like, I don't think I can do it, and throws the knives away. Fuck the shit. <laughs> he's like, No, what are you doing? These are sacred. He's like, You gotta kill this fucker. This dude didn't put the e brake up enough, and that window pane sliced his head off. This is one of those effects that manages to both look really fake and really fucking good all at once. Right, because. To the trained eye, <laughs> we know that's not a real head. But they do enough with it to where it's like, man, they really let that shit linger in the air. That was really good. Part of it was because, I can't remember if it was Donner or maybe it was a writer, but they said the intention of that scene was to have people, you know, like close their eyes, squint, and by the time they opened it up, the head was still in the air. <laughs> so that's why they lingered on it like that. It's like, that's, that's awesome. I like that. That was a good touch. But once again, time period, the effects, all practical. Warner didn't even want to watch that scene of him being decapitated, even though it's on, you know, it's a movie, it's film. Maybe he's superstitious. But yeah, it goes down in cinematic history. So that gets rid of Jennings. That gives maybe a little bit more impetus for Robert to like, oh, maybe I need to get my shit together. So he goes back to London and he wants to investigate his kid. So first he psychs out the dog, the Rottweiler. Mm-hmm. Then he goes upstairs and starts looking at the kid's scalp because Buchenhagen said, if you don't see it visibly on the skin, it could be in the scalp. Do what you have to do to find it. So yeah, he finds it. And then that's, once again, the nanny comes out. She starts like, nah, dog. (laughs) And they have their tussle, which is good. All that shit's good. It leads to her getting stabbed. She dies. The kid gets dragged off to the altar and all that stuff. You would think that the forces of evil would make sure that those birthmarks were even harder to find by putting it like on your ring piece. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> like, right in the folds of your booty hole. I was just thinking, like, somewhere around your brown eye, when no one's really going to be poking around in. Yeah. Especially not a kid. Uh, you would hope. <laughs> you would hope. Priest might have found it. I'm going to reserve my comments, <laughs> but I'm with you. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, you put it somewhere very inconspicuous, you would think. You're like, oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Right in the full fucking chocolate starfish. It's like, oh, damn, that's where they're hiding it. <laughs> There it is, the three-leaf clover. (laughs) So, all right, this is where it's like, okay. In Donner's vision, 
you could see where this could come off like, okay, this is where the guy's having the mental break. Like anybody who's willing to kill a kid. Because everything that the police are seeing in this last scene, there's nothing supernatural about it. No. It looks like the guy had a mental break after his wife gets She gets murdered. basically murdered, even though that's not how they're going to though talk at, about guys. I was about to say, at this point, it's still going to be probably investigated accidental, as a suicide. Or suicide, accidental. yep, 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 one of the two. And, and she was, she just lost baby mm -hmm. again. For her the first time. Technically, it's so, like time. So for everyone in-universe it's going to look like this dude's having a mental break. It's not going to for us. No, no, no. We're too far entrenched into the whole Satan part of this. But, yo, this is kind of frailty, right? Dude, yes. It fits into the whole biblical thing, too, because you can, like, oh, this is, like, you know, Isaac and mm -hmm. that whole sacrificing your child. And even though this is under different circumstances, it's still the whole sacrificial thing. Yeah. You know, that's the whole point. They had to sacrifice a kid earlier in the film. We've already talked about that. We didn't see it, but it's what happened. So it fits in. It fits into the whole scheme. And it makes sense. Frailty does it. You're right. I could see them. This being a huge influence on that. Mm -hmm. But Robert gets shot. The next thing we get is the funeral of him and his wife, presumably. Uh, this is kind of funny. David Seltzer said the reason they kept him offset, major reason because of this scene. Mm. He says because when they were filming this scene, he went up to the casket and knocked on it. He's like, Mr. Peck, are you okay inside there? <laughs> and he said it freaked people out on set because they thought that he was actually in there. Oh, shit. That's funny. Yeah, and he was just joking. <laughs> and he's like, they called, I guess, the paramedics or whatever and tried to get the casket open, and it oh, took a while because it was so hard to get open. And he's oh, just like, what shit. the fuck? <laughs> so they're like, yeah, don't come on set anymore. <laughs> Which I was like, that is fucking hilarious. But anywho, this is another iconic scene. This is kind of interesting how they got this. I'm sure anybody can read about this, but I still find it interesting. Is the last scene you get is of the funeral. And then you see Damien with the POTUS, the president. Mm -hmm. And he gives that iconic little sinister, quote unquote, sinister grin, smirk, little smile. Did you read how they pulled that off? How they got him to do that? Yeah. Richard Donner emphatically told him not to smile. Right. He told him not to smile. He wouldn't be his friend. And then this is where... I think it was Donner. He's like, you know, I would tell him stuff like, I wonder what a squishy fart sounds like or something like that. Just try to get the kid to smile. Even though he told him not to, mm -hmm. he would, everything he could to not get the kid to like break out of character, but to give him a smirk <laughs> and the kid, he did it, man. So yeah, it paid off. It was one of those things like, oh shit. Because everything laid, that was laid out in this film, right? What Father Brennan said, on top of the fact that they attributed the whole 666 and the prophecy to like, Government politics, mm. which, spoiler, this franchise starts to lean into the right. further you get into mm -hmm. the series. So it makes sense that he would be with the president and that he would have an adopted family that happens to be an ambassador. Although it never gets into it as much as this movie promises. Good point. But at least this film tends to lean that way, you know. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you know, there's different hands on and different fingerprints and all that stuff. But overall... This film, it's an iconic film, it's a classic film. It's not one I would always frequent, but it's still solid, man. The score yeah. Oh, yeah. is really fucking good. All the practical stuff is good. Actors, actresses, they all pull off their parts. It's not necessarily always going to be my bag of, you know, tea, mm -hmm. but still a solid film through and through, man. Like, if I was going to recommend classic films to people, like, oh, yeah, you need to watch that one at least once, dude. Oh, for sure. You got to. Yeah, it's great. It's too classic not to. It's just... Oh, so not enough to excite me. 
that's kind of where I'm coming from. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's solid, but ah, there's better. Yeah. And more just specific. Right, right, right. If I really want some Satan stuff, there's better, dude. Yeah. And get some Satan stuff. Yeah, I get my Satan though somewhere else. It's okay. Give me that Satan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I have much else to say on this. I've said it a number of times. It's great. But But yeah, like I said, it was fun to visit it. Not just because of pure coincidence, once again, with Richard Donner's death, but just for the fact that, you know, it is one of those films. When you talk about The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby and all these other films, you can even say this film was trying to write off the backbone a little bit of Jaws because of the blockbuster thing. Mm, mm-hmm. Hence why they released it in the summer as opposed to like during the holiday season, right? So they were playing a little bit into that whole 666 thing too. But the whole point being is is there's some really cool coincidences that happened, both good and bad. <laughs> but regardless, what I was getting at is – this film fits in that mold of all those iconic films that we've talked about and haven't talked about it yet. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's my final thought. It's a classic. My final thought is go watch or and or read Good Omens. Dude, yeah, heavily influenced by this. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Yeah, there you go, dude. Also, like if you watch it, like David Tennant and Michael Sheen are great. Oh man, I saw who was cast. I was like, damn, this is a great cast. I mean, it was written by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Gaiman being one of the foremost <laughs> fantasy writers of our, I mean, both of them being like just in slightly different realms, like, because Pratchett is maybe one of the most brilliant satirists of the last century. <laughs> That's like, awesome. Plus just an amazing fantasy comedy writer. So, hey, match made in heaven. Yeah. That's my because I want to really reread it now after rewatching <laughs> this. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. That's, At least rewatch it. No, that's awesome. And like I said, I'm glad we got to talk about this. Hell yeah, me too. Did we figure out next time? Oh, yes, we do. We have a Rob Rod. Oh, that's right. Oh, shit. How Rob did I Rod. forget? So next time, come back to listen to us talk about From Dusk Till Dawn. Whew. There's going to be a lot of things to say about that film. I haven't watched this in far too long, sir, and I'm super excited for it. Fucking Clooney. Dude, I know, right? Clooney. Harvey Keitel on top of that. Some others. I was going to say Cheech Marin. Danny. Some, some legends and special effects. Tom. Yeah, buddy. A lot of cool people. This is going to be a lot of fun. Come back next time for it. For this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top, as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, The easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. You can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ats. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.